Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. If you're around a newsroom long enough, then you'll learn from reporters that it's hard to get certain records from police departments, especially when the police are accused of doing something shady. A police officer in our society is in a position of trust. And if we cannot trust our police officers, then our society is going to be undermined. A new law went into effect this week that makes it easier to get your hands on certain police records. The law could radically change what we, the public, know about how police departments in California handle police misconduct. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to The Bay. Prior to January 1st, California had the most restrictive, most secretive laws when it comes to access of information about police use of force and police misconduct. This is Alex Emsley. He covers criminal justice for KQED. You're going to be hearing from Alex and from Suki Lewis, another KQED criminal justice reporter. The call for change and for transparency is finally louder and stronger than the effort to conceal and protect the police. In 2010, I was really just starting my uh, journalism career in the Bay Area. That is a pinpoint for me when the sort of the pendulum started to shift back again toward transparency and toward a concern about police use of force. And that was with the shooting of Oscar Grant. Right. And we've been talking a lot about what Oscar Grant's death has meant to the momentum and to the fight for police accountability. Oscar Grant's death was caught on video and had this evidence. And this wasn't by any means the last time we would see police violence caught on video. Out of that tragedy grew a really rare occurrence, which was a prosecution, a criminal prosecution of a law enforcement officer for an on-duty shooting. Breaking news coming in from California. A former transit police officer who is white has just been convicted in the shooting death of an unarmed black man at a BART train station in Oakland, California last year. There have been all these huge national events, you know, Ferguson, the shooting of Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin. Then just this past year, you know, in our state capitol, the shooting of Stefan Clark. And we start with this breaking news, Sacramento police releasing the videos of the officer-involved shooting that killed Stefan Clark. Which has really, you know, hit close to home for lawmakers. It's where they are doing their work. It is time now that we as legislators match that energy 
and do the right thing by pushing for smart and effective reform. I guess I'm not surprised that Nancy Skinner was the state senator in, to introduce this bill because she's from Berkeley, and Berkeley is seen as this liberal activist center. SB 1421 lifts 40 years of secrecy. Do we know why Nancy Skinner introduced this bill in particular? In her official statements, it's been public deserves this information, you know, more, more sunlight. Too often, we are left to wonder about investigations on these matters. Were they thorough? Were the officers held accountable? She also made an argument to me that these are public employees. The public pays for these people to do their jobs, and so the public has a right to know how well they're doing them. As we all know, good policing relies on the trust of the community, and the purpose of SB 1421 is to build that trust and to improve public safety. People who are for uh, transparency aren't necessarily anti-police. I, I think that in, in some ways they might be seen as pro-police. They want this incredibly serious work to be treated with the seriousness that it deserves. SB 1421 allows public access to specific kinds of police records that have been kept private for decades. We're talking the 1970s. Now, some of these records have already been destroyed depending on the police department's protocols and policies, but there's still a lot of records out there that we've never seen. Let's talk about what's in SB 1421. Some of the just specifics of what's, what's covered. What's the range of stuff that we might find? Starting with use of force, any time that a police officer fires their service weapon or any use of force that results in great bodily injury... Another category that's opened up is what's termed official dishonesty. That's when an officer lies in a police report or uh, in official testimony, conceals evidence under color of law. And findings that an officer committed um, sexual assault while on duty. There were multiple committee hearings over uh, this bill in 2018. Senator Skinner, uh, if you would present SB 1421 at your uh, convenience, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Skinner did that, kind of talked about that. She, you know, thinks that this is important for establishing trust, uh, transparency. We have such strict restrictions on any access to public records has affected certain communities' trust towards our law enforcement. And then she would usually uh, hand it over to either advocates focused on criminal justice reform and often, most often... Hi, my name is Yolanda Banks-Reed. ...to the family member of someone who was uh, killed. I'm the mother of Shalim Oshai Tindo. By a, ...by a police officer. Losing a child, having a child's life taken, my son's life was taken January... The 3rd, 2018, by way of a BART police, Joseph Matu, he takes my son's life, the son that I gave birth to, the son that I carried for nine months. Talking about how, you know, X number of years later, they still don't know what happened to their loved one. Not even saying it's it was necessarily justified, unjustified. They don't, they haven't been able to see the evidence that the police department collected in its investigation. And there's been so many mothers that have lost their children 
and have to go and try to investigate to get reports, to get statements, and to get the reports of the police that are not accessible to citizens. While this law focuses on misconduct, it also focuses on just getting a greater understanding of what happens when police officers use force. I'd invite the witnesses in opposition to come up. And then the committee would hear from uh, groups who opposed the bill, anybody in opposition. Uh, John Lovell on behalf of the uh, Los Angeles County Professional Peace Officers Association. There's another element of this bill that provides for release of an officer's information where he or she has engaged in conduct that is entirely within policy and is entirely lawful, yet that officer's name goes into the public wheel. The SB 1421 bill passes in August, and a month later, Governor Jerry Brown signs it. How quickly do the police unions and the law enforcement representatives act after the bill is passed? Well, everything was was pretty quiet for, I don't know, a couple months there. Then on the 18th of December, there was a petition filed with the California Supreme Court requesting an emergency stay that they should hold off on releasing these records on January 1st, which is the date the law goes into effect, making this argument that the law was not retroactive, did not apply to records already in existence, should only apply to records moving forward. What did they fear about this law if it would go into effect the first of the year? Well, I mean, talking, so I talked to Mike Rains, who's the attorney for the San Bernardino Sheriff's Deputies Union that um, he was kind of acting as their counsel in this petition. Immediately when we, we saw the new law, we read it. Uh, we saw that it did not, by its terms, say that it was intended to be retroactive. He says, you know, the intent of the law is clear. Transparency is a great thing. But it wasn't written into the law that it was retroactive. There is nothing in the legislative history that, in fact, says it was intended to be retroactive. There is nothing in the language of the statute itself that says it was intended to be retroactive or retrospective. There is, you know, some practical questions that have also been raised by some, you know, jurisdictions where they're like, this is going to take a lot of time to go back through all these records and redact them and, you know, make them appropriate for, you know, public consumption. And that's going to take resources. Are the police unions also worried that there are things in these documents beyond the scope of what you just mentioned, new cases that we would learn about that would make their departments look really bad? I mean, I think it's kind of not a huge leap to say that is a concern. Um, I think specifically the official dishonesty records could kind of raise questions about past cases that are already closed even. We, we don't know what we don't know that is in these records. But I think anecdotally, we know that there is uh, very spotty compliance with uh, the obligation of prosecutors in criminal cases to turn over evidence to defense attorneys, including evidence about the character of police officers who are testifying in the case. Just last week, KQED and a number of other news organizations got involved. 
including the LA Times, the California News Publishers Association, and the First Amendment Coalition. This group is basically saying that if there needs to be opposition to the police union in court, that they're going to take it on. But so far, they haven't needed to, because this week, the state Supreme Court rejected the police union's petition, which means the law is now in effect. So since this law is passed, it started with a conversation between Suki and I, where we said, as journalists who have worked in this area, you know, what is our role here? We talked about that and could come up with no other legitimate answer than to pursue all of the records from every agency, law enforcement agency in the state, that we possibly can. That's a huge undertaking. I'm guessing millions and millions of pages of documents. So, yeah, it's a lot of work for them to do, to produce them. And a lot of work for you. (laughs) (laughs) We just got to ask for them. That's, that's That's the idea. I feel like there's been a lot of local examples of times when we've heard of police misconduct, haven't had the full story. You know, locally, one of the cases to look at will be, you know, this large scale sexual exploitation scandal that kind of rocked all these different Bay Area law enforcement agencies um, involving this woman named Jasmine Abuslin, um, otherwise known as Celeste Guap. And now to developing news in a scandal, sexual misconduct scandal that involves more than half a dozen East Bay law enforcement agencies. The teenager at the center of all of this testified in court. You know, a number of officers were censured or fired. Things happened, but we don't know all the steps that led there. And also many officers are still working. And so getting to see what the process was will you know be very fruitful and very interesting and also because similar set of circumstances in different jurisdictions then we'll be able to compare and see oh that's interesting this is how Richmond is doing it this is how Oakland is doing it this is how Livermore is doing it and get this kind of scope and range of how internal investigations work or don't work. Suki Lewis and Alex Emsley are criminal justice reporters for KQED. Suki says the News Coalition has received its first batch of police records under the law. But she says they're still a long ways away from getting all of the records they requested from more than 300 law enforcement agencies. Alex says to expect more challenges in courts all over California. And he says it's entirely possible one of these cases makes it back to the state Supreme Court. The Bay is produced by Eric Aguilar and editor Vinny Tong. Our theme music is by Dowd Anthony. Our team includes Julie Kane, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 